You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 14th of March 2019 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller. On today's show... Algeria's absentee president continues to negotiate at one remove with an increasingly angry and perplexed Algerian people. My guests Kathleen Burke and Tim Marshall will be discussing this and the day's other top stories including Brexit as another dramatic yet incomprehensible evening in the Commons beckons. The long-anticipated firing of the starting gun on Beto O'Rourke's run for the White House and a spiralling scandal around US college admissions. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now. And welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Kathleen Burke, Professor of Modern and Contemporary History at University College London, and Tim Marshall, editor of the What and the Why.com, former diplomatic editor of Sky News. Welcome both. And we will start in Algeria as the standoff continues between a president who doesn't appear to want to go and protesters who wish he would. There have been demonstrations across Algeria ever since the interminably serving President Abdelaziz Bouteflika announced his intention to seek a fifth term, despite being 82 years old and unwell to the point that he is rarely seen in public. Bouteflika announced, or whoever makes announcements on his behalf, announced earlier this week that he would not seek the controversial fifth term after all, but now seems to want to extend his fourth. And the election has been therefore postponed. Um, Tim, there is some weird, bizarre Wizard of Oz stuff going on with President Bouteflika. Um, is it clear that he's actually making these or indeed any decisions? Not at all. But in fact, he didn't ever really do that. Uh, he was obviously a key player. But uh, in, in Algeria, they call it le pouvoir, the power. And the power stands for the whole lot of them. All of the ones at the top who are all in it together. The FLN, his party, has run that country since 1962 he himself has been they've, president. They've kind of got used to being in yeah, power at 20, this point. 20 years as president. So the the power is pulling the strings and the power will try to get through the next few weeks uh, with, with some sops to the uh, demonstrators without fundamentally changing the power structure so that they can remain in power. And there's two key guys. One's the chief of staff of the army and the other one is Bouteflika's uh, much younger brother, Saeed. Um, but the, the, the demonstrators are aware of this, and they're coming out again tomorrow after prayers. And uh, th- one of the chants is, no tricks, Bouteflika. Uh, because they know that this is what's going to happen. The power is going to try to manage this situation, give them a few sops, pretend it's proper reforms, and then carry on as normal. So the question is, how far is the opposition prepared to go to make sure that doesn't happen? And the biggest context of all is that they remember how far they all went 30, 25 years ago when the Islamists won a free election. There was a coup against them. It sparked a civil war. 150,000 dead people later, they calmed down again. And that's what hangs over this, this fear that if we push for genuine reform, we might spark something we don't want. Um, 
Kathleen, as, as Tim quite correctly delineates that there, that, that is the spectre haunting this scenario, isn't it? it? It is that civil war in Algeria, which was well within recent memory. Um, and yet it has kind of dropped out, I think, of the international consciousness to the extent that it was ever in it, because it was so horrendous and dangerous that it was almost impossible for anybody to go and report. And therefore, it's not really widely understood how dreadful it was. Well, um, we historians know how dreadful it was. And what I think is at least is as scary to them is that uh, is uh, Egypt. That is to say, you can have what looks like to be an incredibly successful peaceful revolution and the army does it. Um, the army could well do it. I agree very much with, with Tim and Le Pouvoir. Yes. Um, but the army has managed to stay out of sight in Algeria rather more than they have in Egypt. And I suspect if things really get out of control, then we'll see just the same thing happen. But if they stay, if they stay in control but out of sight, that means you don't have an entire two or three generations with rabid hatred. You have, you have, uh, uh, I mean, you have obviously uh, dissatisfaction. You might have uh, uh, real uh, opposition, but what you don't have probably is the same corroding hatred uh, that you have when when there are bodies on the street and when it doesn't matter what you do, you can't get rid of them. So thus far, I think Le Pouvoir has been rather more clever than Sisi and the Egyptians. Uh, Tim, are they going to be obliged uh, at some point, however, Le Pouvoir, to, to put up a, a new front person? There, there have yeah. been some suggestion that one of either or both former foreign ministers, uh, Ramtane Lamramra, uh, Lakhdar Brahimi, uh, could be the next president or the at least a sort of stand-in pro tempore for Bouteflika, wherever he even is. Yeah, um, they have to, yeah. And they will. But is that going to persuade anybody? Because that's about as obvious a case as meet the new boss, same as the old boss, as you're ever, as you're ever going to run across, isn't it? These are the things we're going to find out. I mean, obviously, they will find a figurehead and put, and it will be a him, him up. Even Lakhdar Brahimi is, is a possibility, although he's 80. Um, so they find their figurehead fine. But what Brahimi is doing as an insider, and as he had such a, you know, you could call it a glittering career as a United Nations negotiator, he will now negotiate inside Algeria. The plan is to have a national conference involving all parties, and in that, you agree on a timetable for transition. You agree on a new constitution, which is difficult to write, and you agree on date for an election. So you go through this year and then you'll have an election next year. That's the theory. The problem is, are these are the demonstrators really going to think, well, we're going to have another year before we have an election? This guy's in charge for another year when he was supposed to be standing down now or standing for a fifth term, which also wouldn't have been acceptable. So there's that tension there between what is being offered of this roadmap and whether this roadmap is considered to be acceptable. On the plus side... No, on the, on the optimistic side, <laughs> I should say. You know, we've got the negative uh, potential of another civil war, of the army, uh, of the, p the power crushing everything, and we've got these very frightening examples of their civil war, which only ended in 2002, uh, Egypt, Libya, Syria. On the other side of the equation is a young, vibrant uh, population that genuinely wants... Um, proper reform, backed by opposition parties that hopefully can coalesce because they're very split, and backed by, and this is very important, there's a generation of industrialists in 
Algeria. Remember, it's a very, very rich country. The fact that the people are poor doesn't make it not a rich country. And they want to bring it out into the open. So there's that allied with right next door Tunisia, the one country that had the Arab uprising where it didn't all go to hell in a handcart and they are now trying to forge a democracy. So you've got a template there. And we're going to see which direction we go in over over the next few months. Uh, Kathleen, we've in our conversation, we've had a couple of uh, Arab Spring comparisons and parallels there. You mentioned Egypt, uh, Tim mentioned Tunisia. Is that actually a useful way to think about this, do you think? Is this kind of a, a delayed Algerian response to the Arab Spring, or is, is this an entirely separate new thing? Well, there... there Yes and no. Obviously, nothing is ever the same. But uh, the question of the Islamist influence in Algeria, one gets the impression it's not as ferocious as it was in some other countries, uh, that the it's more, as far as I can tell, a more generational thing than a religious thing. Which means that, that again, that's another a corroding aspect that, that isn't really there. I mean, in a sense, there's all sorts of developing countries where, you, where half the population is under the age of 30. And that is going, it's a template, if you want, for all these various, various countries which are going to go through the same thing. But I think the fact that the religion isn't so corroding there is important. Briefly, why does it matter? Well, it always matters because of the people's lives there, but it's a country of 45 million. It's on the Mediterranean. Uh, we've already seen the effects of uh, all the disquiet that's gone in the Middle East and its effect on migration and the politics of Europe. That's one very good reason to take a good look at it. And the other one is that it's a massively important oil and gas Absolutely. country. Okay, well, let's move along now, because if it is any consolation to our listeners in Algeria, theirs is not the only country whose baffled people are presently struggling to figure out when or if there's going to be another vote, who is even in charge anymore, and what in the wide world of sports is going on in general. Welcome to the United Kingdom. Due to the exit, the European Union, two weeks from today, uh, and still none the wiser as to how this is supposed to be accomplished. A recap of the parliamentary shenanigans of the last 24 hours or so is probably best avoided as it would necessitate more time than we have, and also the unlikely coincidence, frankly, of the presenter of this programme also being the only person in the country who understood any of it. Let us look instead at the now and the next. Um, Kathleen, there have been a couple of significant votes earlier this evening, two very close-run things uh, against amendments which would have had the effect of returning control over the shambles to Parliament, or at least taking it off the government and giving it to Parliament. They have both been voted narrowly down by my probably incomplete count, that means the Houses of Com House of Commons has now voted against Theresa May's deal. It's voted against no deal. It's voted against another referendum. It's voted against extending Article 50. And it's voted against further indicative votes. So are we left with anything? Is anything... I, 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 I don't know. We're staring into the void a bit at this point, aren't we? How about voting for going home? <laughs> um, I, I mean, my problem was here in this sense was that I've not been... Uh, uh, glued to the screen to, to watch these things happen. But yes, I mean, the question is, what is there left to vote for? Um, it's quite amazing, you know. We're getting used to it. We, we've been watching this for months, and we're getting used to it. But you think, I mean, just thinking about that, uh, most countries have, uh, you know, of, of uh, democracies and, and, and mature democracies and mature, uh, mature uh, uh, economies have a leader, 
And they tend to have... Traditionally, yes. And they tend to have an opposition leader that people can see as perhaps a possible leader. We have neither at this point. There are, there are uh, neither, uh, neither of these two leaders, neither uh, Theresa May nor Jeremy Corbyn, has uh, a majority support in the country. Uh, I, one hardly knows what's happening in the Labour Party anymore. But certainly in the Conservative Party, there doesn't seem to be more than uh, 90 people in, in, in favour of anything at all. Uh, Tim, the, it is worth keeping in mind, I think, that there is, as things stand, a definite endpoint to this, which is that by force of law, unless an extremely serious decision is taken otherwise, the default is that at 2300 hours on Thursday, March 29th, the UK will leave the European Union. Um, are we now coming round to the point, and again, I can't believe, how, to, to say this out loud uh, is to admit how mad it sounds. Is it actually possible that Theresa May's withdrawal agreement might actually get up to the gate at the third or fourth time of asking? Andrew, that's not mad. I've been saying that since November when she In first fairness, came up with this you deal. you have. Yeah, I, th I still think she's got a very good chance of getting I've never wavered from that. She's got a very good chance of getting through. I'm not, you know, I don't know the future, but I do know the possibilities and how to game out things, and I'm, I'm pretty confident I know how that she's gamed it out as follows american football that's a good analogy first down and 10 you know okay. you, yeah you, you and then you got a link isn't it four chances to make the 10 yards you've got four right and then it's another first down and 10 and you grind your way to the finish line and nothing gets in the way right well of course there's other people trying to tackle you keep that analogy this this has been a bit like watching last season's new york jets though so go. far right so do I get to be part of this sports <laughs> <laughs> No, you're just an American. Um, deep breath. So, obviously there's been all these hurdles, and she's ground on and ground on and ground on, and the media, the broadcast media more, keep telling me, oh, she has to resign, she can't survive this. I thought, well, no, she, why does she have to? Make me. Make me. Go on, I dare you. Make me resign. They can't. So, we're keeping going. Let me try to get to the end of this, the, the finishing point. She's had two votes for so far, lost them each time. The second one she lost by slightly less than the first one. The third one she's going to lose again by slightly less than that one. But she is whittling down the votes. Here's the key thing. And I think she'll be delighted as Larry, as we say in English, if the European Union come back sometime in the next few days and say, yeah, you can have an extension, two years. At which point she goes to Parliament and she says, all right, guys, you've got a choice here. You can either have a two-year extension or you can vote for my deal. At which point the Brexiteers, who don't like her deal but do want a Brexit, are left with a very stark choice. At which point enough of them, theoretically as she's gamed it out, tip across into her deal, vote for it. We leave on March 29th at 11 o'clock in the evening with her deal. I'm not making a case for or against her deal, but I'm saying that that, that, that is how it gets finally over the line. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I've never understood why people thought this was all airy-fairy. And also, I, you know, I covered Brussels for several decades, on and off, as little as I possibly could. <laughs> I never, ever went through a deal or a negotiation or a Maastricht Treaty or a summit where it didn't go down to the wire. Kathleen, what do you think? Do you think Is it possible that future generations are going to end up remembering Theresa May as some sort of steel-nerved strategic genius? <laughs> I have been not quite as prescient as Tim, but for the last week or two I've thought, you know, she's just whittling off the edges. She's whittling off the edges. And I I am a diplomatic historian, just as uh, uh, Tim is a diplomatic correspondent, and it is so obvious to me, if, in that sense of what's actually what's actually happening. They always go to the wire. 
Uh, she's not going to crumble. She's not crumbled yet, and she's gone through hell in, in, in political terms. Um, and it's going to it, what, what's happening. I mean, David Davis has gone over for heaven's sakes. He he remember he resigned from the cabinet because he didn't like her. As 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 we discussed the other night, though, he may have done that by accident, which you can never you can never rule out where David Davis <laughs> oh, is well, concerned. I'm, I missed that program. There, there are other stuff. There are other things swirling around here. I mean, for example, there could be a, they could try and do a Tory coup where there's a mass resignation from the cabinet. There could even be there could even be backbench conservatives get together with Labour, have a vote of no confidence in her trigger a general election uh, get rid of i mean there's th there are these other scenarios and i'm not saying she's going to get the deal, deal through i'm just saying that all that talk that it was dead in the water week after week after week didn't take into account what always happens uh, we're going to take a short break very sh very shortly before we do that uh, very quickly from each of you because i'm doing this with all our guests until no. this ever happens march 29th or march 30th rather i'll ask you first kathleen has the uk left the eu or not no Tim? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh. okay. Okay, if I have to guess, I'm absolutely guessing yes. Okay, well, we will take a short break now. I quite like the maybe, actually. Uh, you're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Miller, along with Kathleen Burke and Tim Marshall. Coming up next, the Democratic Party's presidential field becomes significantly more crowded. This issue, our editors and photographers were dispatched to all corners of France to paint a nuanced picture of the nation with panache in everything from aviation to architecture and from business to bread. We find out why Navy still suits the French in Toulon, the first port of call to see the nation's fleet mustering for a world-leading military role. We look into why the French turn on their leaders, from Macron back to the storming of the Bastille, and see how one factory nailed it and pinned down the market for specialist hardware. We also ask why the Americans are eyeing up Leon for the future of TV, and meet the Franco-Syrian refugee who launched a global construction firm. And we see why Mont Blanc is still summit special in our photo-led expo report. Plus, plenty more on what makes the Gallic nations strut so convincingly on the world stage. Monocle's March issue is out now. Get your copy today or subscribe at monocle.com. And you are back with Midori House with me, Andrew Muller. Still with me are Kathleen Burke and Tim Marshall. And let's look now at the United States. We have not yet reached the tipping point at which it's quicker to name the prominent Democrats not seeking their party's nomination for the presidency, but we have taken another step closer with the widely expected landing in the ring of the hat of Beto O'Rourke, 46-year-old former congressman, more recently narrowly unsuccessful candidate for the Senate from Texas. Uh, at this admittedly early stage, bookmakers like the look of him, rating him equal favourite with Senator Bernie Sanders as the, and the as-yet-undeclared former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, Kathleen, President Beto O'Rourke, is that actually a possibility? I see him more as a Vice President. Uh, I think, I mean, he's, he's not solid enough. And uh, I, I know they're comparing him with Barack Obama, but Barack Obama had done quite a lot of substantial stuff by then. I think he's I think he's very much in the forefront now. I don't think his time has quite yet come. I have a quiz for you, Andrew. Go on. How old was Obama when he became president? I think, was he even younger than 46? He was 47, which 47. of course... Uh, better a rock would be about 47 if you okay. so you've, you've just crushed me haven't you I know, those, no not at all those, 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 I agree with you well, that, well I, 
I don't think he'll even be VP um, because, well... Sorry, what's the question, Andrew? Uh, my, 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 my question was, one of his key appeals, I'm sure, from the Democratic Party's point of view, is Texas. And the idea yes. that if, if he can put Texas in the Democrats' column, that's it. It's all over. So there's the nation, yes. Uh, is, is that actually plausible? Uh, yes. But you're talking about um, common sense. I'm talking about campaigns. I, I do my best. Yeah. So before you would get there, the Democratic party has to have this battle for its soul which it's going to go through uh, it won't be as bloody i don't think as the labor party in this country and the anti-semitism and all the rest but there are going to be elements of that and the battle for the soul of the democratic party will be between the younger so-called progressives who are often i think regressive but that's another argument the the younger progressives uh will come up with all sorts of policies uh he is not in that category he's voted with trump uh, and for Trump policies a couple of times, he, he, he's not radic what passes for radical left in the United States. Whereas you can make that argument for one or two of the other people that are standing. And if, if they really do go for a, a sharp swing to the left with this whole idea that to take on Trump, you don't, uh, you don't, what is it, punch high? or You, you, punch, you, you punch low. Yeah to take and therefore you swing across and become as radical as he is but the mirror image in which case x y or z wins it if it's a, the traditional wing of the party then it it's it's someone else so i'm for sand not i'm not for sanders i suspect sanders will come out as you know people like elizabeth warren will probably fall away fairly quickly uh up comes Sanders, which, I mean, again, this is a, a guess with such a long way out, but Sanders comes in. Sanders is not going to pick a man for his VP in this day and age for the Democratic Party. No. He will pick a woman. Uh, you would a, a capable woman. Please don't get me wrong, but he will pick a woman if, if he gets it. Kathleen, how, how far or otherwise uh, is Beto O'Rourke's thumb from the pulse of the Democratic Party in, in 2020, do you think? Well, it depends on who you're looking at, doesn't it? I mean, he is, he is, uh, he's not a radical. He's certainly centre-left, uh, as Tim pointed out quite rightly. He voted several times uh, for Trump when he uh, Trump uh, proposals. Um, he's very media uh, friendly. He's got a good family. Uh, clever man uh, is a, is a, an ace um, politician. Uh, the problem is, uh, well, another thing, of, of course, is is Midwest in his area. The point is, you they have to get the Midwest. Uh, the Midwest is where the Senate comes from, since every piddling little state gets two senators. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's it, that that's the thing. You can you you can't a White House and Congress, uh, the the House of Representatives. You can stop things being done, but without the Senate, there are things you can't get done. So uh, I, I trust that uh, Democrats, if, if they want to knock out the, the Republicans and Trump, do remember that they need more than the urban vote. Yeah, they yeah. need more than those under the age of 27. Um, and they need those that have staying power. And you, you mentioned media. Mm. Uh, uh, um, both the U.S. Washington-based media and all the foreign correspondents that live there uh, tend to concentrate on these glittering new shiny types like Better O'Rourke and, and um, maybe Kirsten Gillibrand, AOC. AOC. And Barack Obama. <laughs> well, yeah. But he had, <laughs> He's he had, trying to mess you yeah, up. Yeah, he had a bit more substance but, um, and, and experience. But no, the, the media tend to concentrate on these shiny, glittery ones, whereas actually out there in 
the vastness of the United States of America, their name recognition is nowhere near as high as it is amongst foreign correspondents. Okay, well, finally tonight, and staying in America, the news that elite university campuses may be disproportionately populated by the overprivileged and under-talented may seem, as revelations go, akin to discovering a preponderance of Catholics in the Vatican. Nevertheless, the scandal gathering in the US over the wealthy and well-connected scamming the college admission system is astonishing, without being necessarily surprising. Federal prosecutors have said that at least 50 people have conspired to ease their offspring into college by cheating on exams, bribing officials, and in a few picturesque cases, endowing their children using Photoshop and other such trickery with athletic abilities they may not have possessed. Among the universities embroiled are Georgetown, Yale, Stanford, and UCLA. Um, I I, I will state my credentials right away. I I got into the University of Sydney and dropped out of the University of Sydney entirely uh, on my own efforts, Kathleen. Were uh, any drugs involved in this? Uh, no, no. I, I, I failed twice, actually. Absolutely sober. Okay, well, cards, more, cards more, on the table. More, I was, more or less I was sober. invited to leave school at 16. They, they, they said, we think it would be better for Tim and the school if he didn't come back. Your turn. Oh, gosh, I'm not, I don't think I deserve being around this table, actually. I practically have a, a halo. I'm a Berkeley Oxford chick. Can you do any better than that? No. <laughs> um, well, you therefore have the experience, which neither Tim or I do, where this kind of thing is concerned, Kathleen. Uh, do these what are you suggesting, Andrew? Do, do, do these... Do, 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 <laughs> I haven't dropped out yet. <laughs> do, do, exactly. That, that, that we are a pair of ill-educated oics, oh, Tim, who have frank, frankly been getting away with it for years. Um, Kathleen, how, how surprised are you by any of this? Well, um, I'm not. Well, I am. Well, I am a bit surprised. I'm a bit surprised by the institutions. I'm not surprised. People have been trying to buy, li- you know, buy libraries and give give you know teaching blocks since the world began to get their kids into these things. This is not surprising. What? is surprising is this getting in by the side door, a comment of which I'd never heard before, and I'd quite like to know how it, how it works. No one can seem to tell me. I've certainly asked Tim earlier, and he didn't know. Um, so so it's, it, it, it isn't surprising. Um, what's surprising, I suppose, it, is that so much money is involved. I mean, those who, their problem was the parents didn't go to these institutions. If the parents had gone to, to Yale, for example, uh, there's, an, there's an advantage because there are places kept for, for the children of alumni. Yeah, it's which, the, which, the legacy. Which, yeah. which, which, which people have argued is something of a scandal in plain sight in its, in its sure. own Oh, well, it's, it's the same. Way. I mean, think Jesus called it Ox- College Oxford. If you are a Welsh Methodist, you have an advantage. I mean, this is not, surpri- this is not just American institutions. I mean, let's face it. Um, but And there's no place in Oxford anymore for these colleges to have student blocks built. So that sort of endowment is not, not, not so good. No, I, I'm, 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 I'm partly surprised uh, by the way they're doing it. I'm not surprised that uh, people are doing it. They should have mm. just, just said, get my kid in and I'll give you a building. Oh, but hang on, hang on. That... Allegedly, if any of this has happened, allegedly, when they arrested that woman from um, Sex in the City, De- Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives. Which sorry, I've never, I, I, I'd never the, heard of we, her. We, we should, we should, we, we should note that this scandal does involve a lot of allegedly famous people who I gather have starred in television programs I've of never which we've never heard. Or yes, indeed heard indeed. Of. Well, I've heard of William. Well, hang on, William H Macy, who starred in Fargo. He has I not been arrested. Heard. I want, but I have heard but of him. But his wife has. But, yeah, but he's married <laughs> to. Yeah, his wife has. Right. Sorry. So. 
it, allegedly, if any of this ever happened, it only costs fifteen thousand to twenty-five thousand dollars. You give it uh, to this guy who runs a alleged allegedly runs a charity, and he allegedly has somebody on the inside that is actually uh, making sure that nobody cheats at the exams, whereas in fact what they're doing is they're standing next to the um, little Lord Faldenor and saying, no, 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 two and two is actually four, not five, you know, so they put that down. Uh, or they even take the stuff thing away and redo it, and then they hand it in, and then there's all sorts of other things like yeah, you Photoshop your daughter or son on a rowing machine and say that they are brilliant, and so they get right. So it's, this is a thing that literally happened. Yes, fifteen yeah. to twenty-five grand, but a building. Well, I'm afraid uh, I have an example. Jared Kushner. <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know, he may well have been a absolutely brilliant scholar. Perhaps so, yes. So I don't know if it's the fact that his dad gave two point five million dollars to Harvard that got him in there. I don't know. But that's the sort of money I, I, that... So 15 grand doesn't get you very many buildings. I, sure. I, I, I suspect what you're citing there, Tim, is just one of those bizarre, baffling coincidences that, that occur from well, time And that to happened time. to Ivanka Trump as well, but we well, don't exactly. talk about that. It, yes. it is possible. Look, we call in England, we call them the thick rich. And there are, you know, universities that take some of them. It's, it's shocking, it's not surprising. And if I could very briefly say, this is not... It might help their children financially through their life, but it's not helping their children as human beings. Well, on that note, uh, that does bring us to the end of today's show. Uh, Tim Marshall and Kathleen Burke, thanks for joining us. The show was produced by Carlotta Ribello, researched by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Nick Moniz. Our studio manager was Kenya Scarlett. Music next at 1900. It's The Urbanist. I'm back with more on the day's big stories on the daily at 2200. There may well be more about Brexit. MPs have just voted by a fairly thumping margin to ask for a delay to Brexit from the EU. Uh, Midori House returns at the same time tomorrow. That's 1800 London. I'm Andrew Mullet. Thanks for listening.